You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. The Phillies are everything that I wanted the White Sox to be, and they're filled with woulda, coulda, shouldas. Oh my God, aren't they? They're woulda, coulda, shoulda White Sox players, aren't they? You got you got Cal Schwarber. Yeah. That's a guy that we said, add him. Put him on the team. How many times did we say that, right? You got Wheeler. Oh, yeah. Who, yeah. He actually gave Wheeler a pretty good offer. Wheeler, that was one that I, I don't actually fault Hunter Williams for. It doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like he was going anywhere that wasn't East Coast. Right. Well, his his fiance wanted to go to Philly. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. And we so we we I understand that. It's still a it's still a it's still a coulda or a woulda. I don't know what it is. It's a it's a miss, but it's not one that I hold over the past regime like I hold everything else over them. Right. Like like Bryce Harper. R- Bryce Harper. Oh my God. Think of the difference. That Bryce Harper would have made for the White Sox the leadership in the locker room. He would have never have put up with the garbage that was happening inside of that locker room over the last couple of years. He is an absolute leader who, when he gets injured, works his way back as quickly as possible. When we have so many guys on our team that just are always injured and take forever to get healthy. And then at the end of the year, you hear these excuses like, well, he got hurt at the very beginning of the year and it just nagged him all year long. Like that excuse about Anderson that we heard on this show maybe a week ago, where the idea is that he hurt himself early in the year and he just never got right. Well, then put him on the IL for a month. So I can get the rest of the months with a guy who hits 300 if that's really the reason, right? Like, why would you just, why would you limp through five months instead of getting him healthy and then having a productive player? So I don't, I don't buy that stuff and it's garbage. Like you see Bryce Harper, what can I do? Can I go stand over first base? Would that help? All right, fine. When he gets a knee to the elbow in the last game. He goes in, does the x-ray, comes back out, he shakes it off. Even in a celebration, you could tell that thing still hurt, but he wasn't leaving the diamond. He wasn't doing that. He hears some stupid slight, which really wasn't that big of a slight. Arcia going like, like, what, at a boy Harper laughing in the in the locker room. Not that big of a slight yeah. at all. Yeah, not not a huge thing. But he latches onto the thing and stares him down and gets the whole team going. Nick Castellanos, why were you never put in my outfield by Rick Hahn or Kenny Williams? That guy is a baller and he's just nothing but attitude. Everything they are is what the White Sox should have been if they were run by a competent front office and there was an owner who probably conveyed a little bit more about what he was willing to spend and then got out of the way. We're watching the Phillies and thinking to ourselves, this could have been the south side of Chicago. This could have been the scene. And I think they're going to go win the World Series. I think they're the team this year. Oh, it, it certainly feels like it. And, and I think back to like even just Harper. Harper's difference-making ability, say, in 2021 against the Astros, where Sox hitters were were overmatched for the most part, except for against the one lefty that they faced. You know, you felt like there was some jitters instead of swagger. You felt like there was a lot of things that, that just weren't quite right with the team based on what you had seen prior. And I'm not saying that the Astros still wouldn't have lit up the White Sox pitchers, but Bryce Harper coming up in clutch situations, Bryce Harper giving them maybe a couple of extra runs in that series, a couple of homers in that series, or at least just inspiring some guys to play a little bit more like they're capable of. 
massive difference, right, in, in that scenario versus, you know, that's a team that started with your mean Mercedes as their primary DH and then just started rotating guys because they yeah. didn't have anything else there. I know. You, you would have had a much, I think, different outcome with that. But, like, to your point, Nick Castellanos seemed like a guy the White Sox should have gone after when he was a free agent, and they didn't. Uh, Zach Wheeler, they did go after him. But Schwarber, Schwarber would have been a nice pickup. Oh, uh, Schwarber, Schwarber would have been a been a nice pickup too. They were so stupid, and you just hope that they're not going to be stupid again. And we're going to get into some of the stupid rumors here before this show is over. That's brought to you by Cork and Carry at the Park, thirty third in Princeton, in the shadow of the ballpark, your place for pregame, postgame, and viewing parties. And here during the off season, remember those two for one burgers when you dine in on Mondays. It's an award winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites. And don't forget to stop in if you're in the Beverly area to the original Cork and Carry at 10614 Southwestern Avenue. It is a traditional Irish bar that is just the place to be. You go in there on the weekends, man. That place is live. And and you go in there to watch a, a game, especially in the fall weather with those outdoor big screens. It, it is just a great spot to hang out on the south side. Cork and Carry at the park and Cork and Carry Beverly. See more at corkandcarry.com. Joining me on the phone line right now from Future Socks, also now on the broadcast basement on demand radio network, just like Socks in the Basement. Elijah Evans returns. How are you, Elijah? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, welcome back. I, I want to get into the Arizona Fall League. I want to get into guys that you think could be ready to contribute in 24 and definitely in 25. I think that's where the window starts to reopen again if they do things correctly. 24 is a build and 25 with all that payroll flexibility gives them an awful lot of options. And I, and I want to dive in first off to the Arizona Fall League and the names that I think are on the top of everybody's mind, Colson Montgomery, of course, Brian Ramos, of course, and then uh, maybe even some Jacob Burke. Uh, tell me a little bit about these guys. Let's run through them. And uh, and and I, I'm just curious how they're doing and when you think they're going to be real contributors to the White Sox. Yeah, so it, it's tricky with these two, right, because both of them missed parts of the season with injury. So Montgomery didn't even end up debuting really until the second half of the season. Ramos returned in May after missing a little over a month to start the year. So for two guys that were kind of, you know, the top two hitters in the system right now, expected to be major contributors at the next level, it was tricky this season to really gauge where they were at because neither of them had a full season. Ramos was really a lot more consistent once he got back. Colson, even once he had returned, dealt with a little bit of sickness. He was in and out a little. He was just really adjusting to the level. He played for a while in high A before getting back to double A where he really should have been the whole time. So it's, it's hard to kind of really judge a lot of what we saw during the season from them. But with that said, there was a lot to like from both of them, honestly. So they are, I mean, they both showed all the talent they have in double A. And I think the, the ultimately the innings is just going to be the biggest thing. They're both 21 years old, very young, you know, Ramos finished with an OPS over 800 in a shortened season, right? So he didn't even play the full year. He ended up with 15 home runs and OPS over 800 can really solid defense at third base. This is a guy who didn't used to be, you know, a plus defender at, third and now looks like he's an above average defender at third he's gotten a lot better his arm strength has always been there but his range is developing he's generally just become a guy that you can trust at third base and you want to remain there long term you know there was talk about moving him to second at one point or you know eventually him being the first baseman that was that was a few years ago early in his development and now it's like this guy's a legit mlb third baseman and then you look at montgomery who you know is a top prospect in the system his offensive profile has a ton of upside he's one of the most advanced intelligent hitters that I've ever seen at that level. Um, I just think he, he has such a knack for a feel for the zone and an easy ability to hit. And he's still growing into that power a little bit more. 
Neither of them are doing all that well in Arizona right now. Um, prior to last night, Montgomery had been really rough. Yesterday, he had a two-hit game, including his first home run in Arizona, which was great to see. Um, but it does feel like, you know, they're both kind of the top, two of the top offensive options, hitting at the top of the order uh, for the Glendale Desert Dogs in Arizona. And I think it just seems like they're doing a little bit too much and trying to do a little bit too much right now. But that's only, you know, seven, eight games in each. And that's, that's not anything I'm, I'm worried about significantly. And I think for the two of them, it's really just about continuing to work, continuing to get their innings in, get the bats under their belt. And that's the whole point of this Arizona Fall League right now for them is guys who didn't play the entire season. Getting them innings is, is pivotal. Overall, that's positive. I'm not going to worry about a bad start in the Arizona Fall League. If one out of two prospects that you're looking at turn out to be as good as you hope they are, that's a good thing because not every prospect hits. Add in a Jacob Burke. If I get two out of three out of these three guys, I'd be excited. Tell me a little bit about Jacob Burke. Um, Burke's a guy who, like, yes, we have Louis Jarber Jr., which means he doesn't need to play center field. Burke is a phenomenal outfielder. Um, you can go listen to, I did an interview with him a few weeks ago for Future Sox. He's on the Future Sox Network, but he he is just ridiculously rangy in the outfield and a guy who has just an insane amount of natural athleticism and ability. I talked to him. He didn't even play outfield earlier in his life and kind of transitioned in college to playing more outfield and just found his natural home there and has not been anything but a center fielder since then. If you have the versatility of putting a really good natural center fielder in left or right field long-term, you're in a situation where you're going to have an insanely good outfield and you have security behind Luis Robert of somebody who can give Robert a day off to DH and play center field. The Sox don't have anybody right now who you want playing center field ever pretty much, right? I mean, there's nobody on the current roster or even the coming up, you know, the future roster outside of him that, that is somebody you want playing center field. So having another guy who you can trust any given day in center field and can move over to the out the other corner spots is great. Um, on top of that, Burke, Burke's looks good with the bat. You know, he's, He's impressed in the Arizona Fall League, and he's young for this league, too. You know, he was drafted last year, and even though he's a little bit more advanced as a college guy, he is he's not old. This is really his first professional season. He made it up all the way. He dominated both low A and then high A um, this season, and he's just a guy that has continued to look better and better over time with the bat, you know, plus speed, plus defense, quality contact skills, and that's something that really just can't be understated how important that can be as you continue to go through the ranks. The White Sox, you know, we know this, right? There's there's a lack of players who can consistently get on base, and that's what Jacob Burke does, in addition to being a great defensive player, which is another thing that the organization uh, lacks for the most part. As we're talking with Elijah Evans from Future Sox, I want to remind you that if you're looking for exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and storm doors, look no further than Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. No high-pressure sales. They're not coming to you, invading your home, and telling you, take it or leave it. Instead, you're going into their place. You're seeing everything in full color, full size, all the etchings, nothing in a book. The owner's in the showroom, and there's one on site. All window and door superstore installers, they don't farm out the work. They've been doing it that way in Oak Forest since 1985. All major brands custom made, no stock items, give you a perfect fit. They are one half block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. Stop into window and door superstore of Oak Forest and see more at windowdooroakforest.com. I'd like to see more defense yeah. and I'd like to see uh, that kind of range in my outfield, just like I want to see that range in my infield. So if we're talking about these three guys, give me a guesstimate. 
on when we could see these three guys and they're actually ready because that's the problem with the White Sox over the last couple of years. Sometimes guys are up before they're actually ready and it and it hurts them at the end and we don't get the full potential realized. So when are they when in your mind are they actually ready to be here? Yeah. Um, you know, if it wasn't for the injury this past season and the fact that he only played 30 something games in double A, Montgomery would have been a legit candidate candidate to be the shortstop fairly regularly for the White Sox at some point in 2024. Um, I think he just is a little bit delayed in this development, and I think he needs to continue to hone in a little bit on his offensive game. His defense looks great right now. He's shown a lot of range. I think he's going to be a, a solid big league shortstop. I don't think he's not a premier glove at shortstop, but given, I mean, Tim Anderson has never been a premier glove at shortstop, let's be honest. So I think that's a guy who it, defensively, he, he's pretty much there right now and at least close to being there. Um, I think the offense just, he needs a little bit more bats and innings under his belt. I think you could look at him being maybe the best case scenario. If you move, if you move Anderson, either in the off season or at the deadline, I think maybe, you know, a post trade deadline call up at the beginning of August is possible. Realistically though, I think he maybe gets a, uh, you know, a little drop in the, the big leagues and, you know, at the end of the year this year, but honestly the 2025 opening day is shortstop. I think, I think if, if he, if he debuts in 2024, that's a big success. If he's ready and he looks good throughout the minor league season to start the year and he gets up towards August or September of 2024, that's great. Realistically, I think he's the, the, he is the planet shortstop going into 2025. When you look at Ramos, Ramos has had a little bit more, you know, time under his belt in, in double a Ramos played almost, the majority of the, the previous season in double A and or a good amount of the season in double A last year, he got a lot of innings under his belt this year in comparison to, to Colson, right? So he Ramos is a guy that, yeah, he played 21 games there last year and then played 77 full games in Birmingham. So he's got almost a hundred games in Birmingham now and it's, he's been successful. He's had an over 800 OPS, you know, this time in Birmingham, right? So this is a guy who has kind of proven what he needs to prove. I think with him, it's really just about, continuing to hone in on his approach a little bit. He started to do that this year, though. I mean, he, his strikeout numbers came down a little bit. His walk rate was up a tad from last year. So this is a guy who just keeps getting better, and he keeps continuing to hit, and it's really just about getting further innings under his belt. But I think I think Ramos is, is even a little more ready than Montgomery right now, um, just based on the fact that he has 100 games in AA. And if he, if he can really turn things up, he doesn't look great in Arizona right now, but if he can really turn things up in Arizona, um, I think there's a world where Ramos is up fairly early next year um, if things really click, but realistically still kind of a mid to late season in 2024. Um, and then Jacob Burke is, is definitely less experienced, but like we said, you know, he, he's, he's moving quickly and he looks good right now and he's facing competition right now. That's a year or two ahead of him in Arizona and he's, he's handling it well. So that's a guy, he hasn't even played a single game in Birmingham yet. So I'm not, he's definitely not a next year guy, but I think by 2025, that's a guy you hope could be at least uh, like, like we were talking about, not the everyday center fielder and maybe not even an everyday outfielder, but at the very least, Jacob Burke has the profile of, you know, a fourth outfielder, a utility guy, the type of piece that can just be consistent and show a lot of defense, a lot of speed. So I look at him as more of a 20 mid to mid 2025, probably. But um, I think, you know, Ramos and Montgomery, I, I expect that to be the plan on the left side of the infield heading into 2025, honestly. Elijah Evans and all of our guests here on Socks in the Basement brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks and green spaces filled with adventure. Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, walk through the forge on Sunday, and they just got thousands of jack-o'-lanterns out there. It's going to be spooky and weird. It starts at 6.30 in the evening. See more at lamontdowntown.com. Final thing for you, um, I want to talk pitching real quick. 
A lot of Sox fans angry about the Jake Berger trade, so this Eater kid is already garbage. And I don't know if he's good or if he's bad, but that's the feeling, I think, amongst a lot of the fan base because they hated the trade because it didn't make a lot of sense and another reason why Kenny Williams should have been just drummed right out of town. Uh, But then you also have Nick Nestrini, who I think is probably the most likely to get to the majors quicker than anybody else who was acquired, especially pitching-wise, during those deadline deals while Hahn and Williams were still at the helm. Tell me about those two guys and what we can expect. Yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of the rare people that was actually really excited about the Jake Eater trade, um, and that's me being a prospect guy. I know that I'm in the minority there, and I know that a lot of White Sox fans were upset by the deal, um, and ultimately it, it is, you know, Jake Berger went on to match with Miami, and they made the playoffs in large part thanks to him, and, and I get it, right? But at the same time, I, I do understand the idea of taking a swing at a guy who could be a really good starting pitcher. Jake Eater is a guy who, you know, was one of the top left-handed pitching prospects in baseball in 2021. He had a phenomenal season back then, you know, ended up going undergoing Tommy John, he dealt with a foot injury at the beginning of this year. So he really hadn't pitched coming into this year. He hadn't pitched in almost two years. So I, the, the frustration with, you know, he's a 25 year old, he was still pitching poorly in the minors this year. I get it. And I understand, but there's some level of patience you just have to have when you're looking at prospects and you have to understand that, you know, this is a guy, right? This is a one seven seven ERA in 2021, right? And double A. So this is this is somebody that has flashed the upside of a really really good starting pitcher. Not just like, oh, he could be a rotation piece. He looked in 2021 like he could be, you know, a front line starter. And in my opinion, for a guy like Berger, that's something you have to try and take a chance on. So Eater had a rough year this year, but I'm not putting that much stock into it. He dealt with a lot of injuries, you know, from coming back from Tommy John, having a foot injury, transitioning to a new organization. And there were so many factors that derailed his season this year. He's looked pretty good in Arizona so far. Um, you know, he's made two starts against pretty high level competition, right? He's allowed, he's got a two, eight, four ERA across six and a third innings. So he threw a little over, over three or a little over three innings in both of his starts. And, you know, for him, it really comes down to command. I think his his command is what really had him struggling throughout a lot of the year. But at the same time, he is someone who, you know, has stuff that can really play up at the next level if he's able to continue honing in on that command. So it's going to take some time. Um, I know fans don't want to hear that. I think he, he just needs to get more innings under his belt. And when you're coming off of Tommy John, you just got to get your body back in shape. I, I talked to him in Birmingham, and he was telling me about how, you know, it's for him this season is really just about getting his mechanics right. His lower half was just kind of off. The foot injury was lingering a little bit. He just needed to get his body and his setup and his delivery right before he can even really fully focus on, you know, that next step. So, I mean, I, I think Eater is someone who it, it's going to take some time. You got to give him more time in the minors next year. But if things start to click for him, we could see it click really quickly. He's the type of player where if his body's right going into next year, we could see him string together six straight amazing starts, promotion, do it again in AAA, promotion again, right? So it's, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but he has the ability and the upside to be someone that could just click and get moving from there. I think he's a 2025 option. Um, I think it's possible. I think he, he has a lot of upside, and it's really just going to come down to getting his body right and getting his you know, command more stabilized. And then you look at Nestrini, I think Nestrini has a really good shot to crack the opening day rotation. Uh, given the White Sox pitching status, given the fact that, you know, there's really, I mean, who's in the rotation behind Dylan Cease, honestly. I mean, we, we don't even know if Kobeck's a starter at this point, really. And we don't know, you know, Jesse Schulten, Tuki Tucson. There, there's nobody behind Dylan Cease that you can look at and say, that's a starting pitcher for the future, right? And there's really not. So Nestrini is a guy who, you know, he came over from the Dodgers organization, He's incredibly clean and smooth with his delivery. 
he's 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 a Dodgers product. That's it's all you can expect from Dodgers product, and it's all we've grown to expect from Dodgers products, right? So he was ended up having similar results in Charlotte as he did in Birmingham, right? So he has AAA experience. Probably like more likely, he probably starts in Charlotte and makes his way up pretty quickly. With that said, if he shows out in spring training, given the status of the White Sox pitching, and if they don't add, I mean, they have to add some amount of pitching in the free agency, but depending on how much they add in free agency, this is a guy who has 130 or 230 combined innings in the last two seasons, right? So he's got tons of innings under his belt between 2022 and 2023. His stuff is excellent. He has a little bit of shaky command at times, but he has a, a plus fastball, a plus slider, and he's a, he's a really consistent, stable pitcher. And that's something the White Sox need. I think the upside is there for him, too. I mean, he could be even better, but at the worst, I think he's a solid rotation piece pretty soon. So I, I honestly do think Mastrini has a really good shot to make the rotation an opening day. And if he doesn't crack it right out of spring training, he'll be up by May, June at the latest, frankly. Elijah Evans from Future Socks. We're lucky to be uh, linked up with these guys uh, on the broadcast basement on-demand radio network, and uh, good to talk to you. Uh, look, you guys love prospects, and I want to get as excited <laughs> as you do about prospects. I'm also one of those guys. It's like if I have five prospects and, and, and two of them work out, I, I'm I'm thrilled. So I know that there's going to be some that don't make it, but it's exciting to hear where these guys are, and they do need a couple of breaks to fall their way, uh, the way that this team is set up right now. Elijah, thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate you having me, Chris. Zemar just walked in here to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Uh, are, are you interested in any way in the White Sox offseason, or are you just inundated with things that you have to do when it comes to health insurance? Inundated. Yeah. Uh, it's that time of the year. It's busy, um, and it's almost like the, the doors are busting off. You getting some sleep? Uh, a little bit here and there. And you help businesses, small and big, get the best out of their insurance plans for their employees. Because if you think about it, it's not just the employee paying a premium and the company kind of covering it. The company gets affected by the bottom line as well. It's all about keeping people that you want around your workplace working for you because they're happy with the benefits, right? 100%. And employees are leaving companies uh, for better benefits and uh, strategizing and making sure that you're doing the best, not only for your bottom line as the company, um, whether you're the CFO or the owner, uh, or to retain that employee because that's talent, that's profit, that's money sitting on the table. Um, and so making sure you put it together right. So if somebody wants to look in the possibility of reducing cost and probably getting better insurance for their own employees and making them happier, how do they do that? Call 708-535-3006 or you can email me at butch at elitebenefits.net. Future Sacks loves their prospects. They do. If we get one out of three or one out of four, though, Ed, I'm happy. And so I don't expect all those guys to work out, but I am excited about those names. And and we we've kind of we know about Montgomery. Obviously, that's that's a name that in, in the White Sox lexicon of we have prospects coming. He's one of the ones that the Han Williams people you know they they put it all all their eggs into that basket. So there's been a Colson Montgomery basket and various White Sox fan eggs brewing there for years. And we just hope the eggs haven't gone rotten and that they put them in you know they're like chocolate eggs or something delicious. But the other guys, you know, Ramos is a guy whose name has been kicked around, and I, I think 
we even thought maybe we might get to see him this year as the season fell apart. Eater, I think, is an interesting thing because I I do agree with the idea that this is a guy that was a premium prospect, and I and I don't think that it was ever the Jake Berger trade was not about the return that you're going to get from him because it might be fantastic. I think I think the downside for for Eater is just that the Berger trade didn't necessarily make sense to begin with, and and that's he's never he's always going to wear that, but I think he'll I think he can make us forget very easily that you know that that was what was given up but then again i wouldn't mind if chris gets made tough decisions like that to get back premium talent now so i don't know why it should bother me that it happened then let's talk about his tough decisions because now there's this rumor that's been put out that really feels like clickbait because i when i read the articles on it i kind of go well i I assume they were going to do this because it's a stupid thing to do right and that is chasing Sal Perez and Whit Merrifield because we're turning the White Sox into the Royals of the South Side. Like, I understand that you've got a few Royals folks now around the team, and so they're they're into their players and their system, but I worry about too many of them coming in. On the other hand, if it's done correctly, I'm, I don't have a problem with it. Like, Sal Perez is, is still owed about $44 million if you buy him out before the 2026 season. So you'd have him in 24 and 25, and then you'd have to give a $2 million buyout, and it's going to cost you $44 million. You know, that, that's an awful lot of money. If somehow the Royals are taking some of that money on, or you're able to get rid of people you don't want, like Juan Moncada, and you're like, well, we want to get out from underneath this contract. If the net is that he only really costs you $7 million for the next two years, I have no problem with a veteran catcher coming in until Edgar Caro is ready because I think that's the guy who's the eventual long-term catcher for the team that's at least in your system, or if you find something else. I don't have a problem with Whit Merrifield if Whit Merrifield is, they first of all, the mutual option for $18 million is turned down by Toronto. I don't want them picking that up and trading us an $18 million guy who has a below-average OPS. But if you get Whit Merrifield at something closer to his actual value for like $6 million— for a year and maybe a one-year option, and you're just trying to change the culture in your clubhouse with guys that you know are good clubhouse guys and that will buy into Pedro's thing and Chris gets his plan, but they're really just stop gaps, then I don't have a problem with it. I do have a problem, though, if you tie a bunch of money up into guys that are in their mid-30s on their downside and you're just you're just creating another problem with salary. We talked about the salary flexibility in 25. You take on all of Sal Perez's money, and I think it's a stupid deal. I think it's a bad idea. I get it if they're just one or two moves in the grand scheme of changing culture. They're going to be here for a short time at the end of their careers, and they're not expected to be linchpins or big acquisitions, but more guys that are coming in here because they're trying to change some things up in a clubhouse. I get that. If they start trumpeting this as like major acquisitions that are turning the ship around, then that's where I have a problem with it, Ed. Well, yeah, and and that's that's the key, right? Because Whit Merrifield is very much already on the downslope. I, I mean, there, there's no doubt about it that he is on the downslope of his career. Defensively, not very good anymore. No, and and offensively, not terrible, but not great. I mean, this year's 700 OPS, 272. As a second baseman, that's not the worst, but as an outfielder or as a guy that that you know might have to DH every once in a while. That's not really worth the money, and 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 it and it's bad at any at any rate. It's bad, and you would be better off with Brian Ramos. You'd be better off with Lenin Sosa. You'd be better off with Zach Remillard, for that matter, as opposed to Whit Merrifield. 
And whatever intangibles, and I don't really know much about Merrifield, whatever intangibles this guy brings, that's great. Let him retire and become a coach. You know, if you want to help him help change the clubhouse or whatever, do that, okay, and instead of bringing him in. Or bring him in on a, on a low-end contract and just let him be a bench piece and and help the team that way. That's okay, too, because that's where he is at, at, you know, going into his age 35 year. He was very nominally a starter for the, the Blue Jays this year, and I don't think that they are really going to want him back at, at the price that he's going to come. Sal Perez, he's a 33-year-old, 34-year-old catcher, but he still played 140 games this year as a DH and a catcher, and he still hit 23 home runs. He was still very, very productive. He's just not $20 million a year, is he? He's not. He's getting paid it's off of the just two, that money. He had the two yeah. years. He had two years in there where he was like a high 800 OPS and a 900 OPS in his entire career. And it was coming off of like an elbow injury and he had these two really good years. And now he's gone back to basically what he was in the early part of his career. And what he was in the early part of his career is a serviceable catcher. And if he can be that and he has some qualities that they think is going to help leadership wise in the clubhouse, I get it. I just don't get it at $20 million. I want it to be a contract that can be moved out of the way when you finally have the catcher that you want. Like, you can't go out and get the best at everything on your team. I understand that. And there might be a role for him. For that price tag, that's 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 stupid money. You got to get the Royals to take some of that, or they got to clear some salary that you just think is garbage that you're trying to get off your team anyway. Yeah, and if the if the Royals sit there and look at it and they go, "We'll take on your own Moncada salary." I want more than that, though. I I don't want a straight up Moncada for Perez deal. No, no, no. I I I I agree with because of the age but... difference. Like I want I want more out of that, but it definitely should be part of it, unless they're just picking up some of the money. Right, if they're willing to trade him and say we're taking half the money off the books, that's a start. And the Royals, for their part, might want to do that because they had other catching options behind Sal Perez this year. Whereas the White Sox really, I mean, they're 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 not there yet. We don't know that Corey Lee's there yet, and like you said, Caro uh, is not. He's not ready. He's not going to be ready. At couple least years until yeah, for yeah, sure. A couple years. Yeah. So so Perez is a bridge if you're not paying him a whole lot, or if you're paying him half of that money. Um, at that point, yeah, I, I think you can make the the case for it. I just don't see both. And and you're right. If if this is if this is how this is going to go, and there's just going to be a parade of ex Royals in here, that's not going to change anything really for the White Sox. What I do think changes for the White Sox is if one or two of these guys that are rumored are coming in with the intention and with the understanding of they are not here to help the White Sox win in 2024. They are here to help bridge to the next round of players that are coming through, the ones that we're talking about with Eater and we're, we're talking about with Montgomery and Ramos and Jacob Burke, you know, and, and, and things like that. And, like, to your point, a few of those are going to hit, a few of them are not going to hit, and that's okay. You know, and, and we're not looking for everybody to, all the prospects to come up and make this change. But what we are looking for is, can Chris Getz take advantage of the prospects that he does get to hit, that the ones that do come up? You know, if Jacob Burke, who his minor league career right now is better than Andrew Vaughn's was before Vaughn was brought up, if Burke works out and he fills an outfield slot, great. Can Chris Getz take advantage of that and find someone to plug another hole 
or are we going to have a glut of outfielders? I swear, we need to have like a dinger that goes off every time you use the phrase plug another hole. But that's all this team is. It's a leaky boat and it's you got to stick plugs in It has a lot of holes that need to be plugged. I just imagine you taking a cork and just like, like an old cartoon trying to plug all the holes in the White Sox. Here's Sox's what I'm doing. Boat. Here's what I'm doing. I am in this leaky boat of the White Sox. <laughs> I have a bunch of corks. I right. got somebody named Carrie. Right. And, and between the cork and Carrie, we're here plugging holes. <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.